Hey guys and gals, welcome to Dude Check This Out, a music podcast where we talk about music from all sorts of genres and from all sorts of places. Today, though, we have a Philadelphia, well, not native, he's technically, technically not from Philly, but today we have a very special guest mixing his love of science fiction, music, and space. Keegan Tower is, above all, a storyteller. Promoting his new album, Star Tide, which will be released on April 2nd, he describes Star Tide as a continuous, unbroken story narrated by recurrent characters told in 10 pieces for about 42 minutes. The album incorporates strings, piano, harp, I'm gonna butcher these, duduk, erhu, bass, and crystal bowls and voice, and even the synthesizers are all played by hand. It's the biggest and most challenging and most exciting project he's ever worked on. Here is saxophonist, songwriter, producer, and much more, Keegan Tao. How are you, bud? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Did I butcher that instrument? The, how do you say? Um, duduk. The Duduk. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got it right. I was close. I was close, man. But how are you? You're good. I'm. Um, I'm great. Yeah. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing Actually, good. I didn't. I didn't know this. Are you from Philadelphia originally? Um, I grew up in the suburbs, like an hour north of Philadelphia. So I would not say I'm from Philadelphia. Right. But on, I've right on. lived here for six years now. Right. And you went to school at Penn State. That's correct. That's awesome. When did you When did you graduate? 2015. The first time we met was actually at the Grape Room, and uh, I remember there was just a jam session or a uh, open mic, and we played, and <laughs> the first time I saw you, I'm pretty sure this was the first time we met, the first time I saw you, he's like, this guy's ripped, and he, then he busted <laughs> out this little alto saxophone that looked like so puny in your hands. <laughs> what? <laughs> it did, it did, I was just, I was just so confused, and you smashed, uh, man, and then we got to have you on a couple handbone gigs. You came and sat in at uh, my birthday show at Fergie's Pub, right? Oh, that was so fun. That that night was a blast, and Ugh. I'm trying to remember who else was there for, in terms of horns. Gabe was there. Gabe, um, that's right. I think that were, those were the only two horns. Yeah, but that night got wild. That was um, so fun. That was 20... That had to be 2020, right? Yeah. Before, before the chaos. Oh, oh like <laughs> it was right before the pandemic. Yeah, it was I one of the so. last times I went out, I think. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you were hard at work at this record for two years, and you basically shut yourself in to finish it, right? Well, not by choice. I wish I hadn't been shut in. But uh, <laughs> the, the pi- uh, pandemic definitely sped up its conclusion. Oh, for sure. But you know what's funny? Um, when I was research- researching the record, it's it's electronic music, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't really put a jazz saxophonist making like an electronic music album like who are you listening to that pushed you in this direction um well uh i kind of have like a i don't know like when i got to penn state um i actually didn't really play the saxophone for like four years like i got into the penn state jazz band and i was like the only not music major and you know everyone was kind of a dick because they're jazz musicians and you know i <laughs> as is jazz, you know as stopped jazz playing with the jazz band and got really into electronic music and i kind of put the saxophone down for like four or five years um like i still played but just like not seriously not gigging and recording professionally or anything um and in that time i kind of i guess went on a little 
electronic music odyssey and you know got into electronic music and then towards the end of school i started getting back into the saxophone and then i got to philly and i really kicked that back into full gear because of all the amazing musicians down here you know who really made me want to play um and so i guess i you know it was because of that little hiatus i took where i got really deep into electronic stuff that uh now i'm kind of just sitting somewhere in the middle i guess that's really cool, but like, give me some examples. Like, what are some artists or records you were listening to that really put you into that mindset? Oh, let's see. Um, so, in my day-to-day life, I don't really listen to very much electronic music, um, mm-hmm. except when I'm like gathering tracks to, for like a gig. Like, to me, like techno and, and house music is like stuff I want to play and listen to at like clubs or like on stages and stuff. It's not like really what I'm playing in my living room while I'm hanging out. Um, although sometimes I do. So like, I think most of the music that's influencing me is not really electronics. Um, I listen to a lot of jazz, a a lot of contemporary stuff. I really love like ambient music. Um, but I guess if I'm trying to think of influential electronic musicians that I really like, you know, in high school, I was, you know, early on when I discovered electronic music, I was in love with, uh, infected mushroom and, uh, Daft Punk, obviously, and Ted mm-hmm. Mouse, um, and some of the guys like Porter Robinson and Matt Zoe, way back in the day, like when the EDM bubble was just exploding. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't listen to them much anymore, but that's kind of like what got me moving down the path. Right, but it's kind of that thing. Once you know how the uh, the sausage is made, you don't listen to it as much, right? Yeah, and again, like I kind of just like, it's not my sitting at home listening to stuff kind of music usually. Mm-hmm. Except sometimes when I'm like cleaning or exercising, maybe. But oh yeah, totally. Like uh, I think Daft Punk. You know, I was just listening to the other day on my run, finally getting mm-hmm. back into the running season. But R.I.P. Daft Punk, man, that was a <laughs> surprise that came out of nowhere. Kind uh, of. I don't know. Like I feel like they just haven't said or done anything in like 12 years, and then one day they're like, okay, we're finally broken up, and everyone's suddenly so sad. And I kind of like am like, have, have you not been sad for 12 years? <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> that's true they haven't put anything out in a long time do you think they just had like a meeting one day and just said ah, i don't know we're good I'm, i guess a lot of people had a secret hope that they were gonna come back and just drop another crazy album or something i mean yeah we can all hope but it's what it is but you you mentioned jazz and i know that you played in the big band and stuff at penn state back at school but like who are you listening to now in terms of jazz musicians um so my friend Max, who you guys probably know, uh, Feeman, recently got me into a few new names. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Dafir Youssef. No, I haven't. He's like, um, oh, wow. So he's like a uh, Tunisian oud player. The oud is a stringed instrument mm-hmm. from the Middle East. And he's like this incredible singer. Like he has an alien voice. Um, <laughs> and he does this really cool crossover of like Middle Eastern mediterranean african music and like jazz um in like some really wild time signatures and you know kind of totally different harmonic styles than western jazz um and his like writing is just insane he has some like crazy musicians in his band and i've been going through his discography a lot recently i mean i yeah i don't know anything about him i will I, i'm gonna go i just typed him into my little notes thing i'm gonna go check that out i super it, recommend yeah it's it's funny when uh, you mix American jazz with 
of music outside of the country, you get some really wild mixes and matches, man. Especially like uh, Caribbean or Arabic, well, not Caribbean, Arabic music with, you know, yeah. swing stuff. It gets really wild. Um, he has a few really albums that are much more like, uh, air quotes, traditional, like more Western. Then he has a couple right. of pieces that are way more like Arabic. Like he's got this one, like uh, Arabic clarinet player. Clarinet is like a huge instrument over in the Middle East for jazz. Like mm -hmm. it's like super standard and like they get the whole, I don't know, style of playing and like voicing and tonality is so different. It's so cool. Is it anything like the um, uh, the instrument you play on your the record, the duduk, it, in terms um, of... Say again? In terms of, like, the tonality or, like, the feel of the instrument? Yeah, so the clarinet and duduk kind of have a little bit of, I think, timbre overlap. In fact, um, some duduk players have this modification where they can install a clarinet mouthpiece onto a duduk body. Um, really? Yeah, and it gives it a really crazy sound. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty neat. That's wild, man. And uh, you know what? I, I should say this uh, for the podcast is uh, you sent me the record, and um, I listened the whole thing top to bottom. It's it's really fantastic. I, I gotta oh, compliment you. you on that. It's it's really well it. mixed and um, and mastered. But um, you you said this on uh, on. Attached to the track, no one's seen this, but I'll, I'll, write, I'll say what you wrote, which Startide is a continuously mixed story album meant to be listened to from beginning to end as an unbroken musical, musical experience. What was your inspiration to do that? Like, to, to create a whole story over, like, 40, 50 minutes, and, and the, the listener has to be along the ride with you? Um, I think I've kind of always really enjoyed continuous albums, like, if you listen to a lot of like the Pink Floyd albums that it, you just started at zero seconds and listen all the way to the end and it, you know, never really stops. Um, and it, it kind of like, it's also for me, like that's part of the reason I really like, uh, like electronic music and DJing, you know, you get these continuous hour, two, three hour experiences of like unbroken sounds. And it really, you know, I think like in a lot of the DJing sets that I like to listen to and attend around the city, it's, you know, kind of a storytelling exercise like you're building a real energy arc from you know the beginning of the night to the end of the night if you're playing a four-hour set or you're working together with other djs to kind of hand off the torch and like create this continuous story experience you know maybe there's not words or anything um or you know maybe the words are all unrelated because they're different songs but i really love the the album craft style of you know the continuous album and i really love electronic music mixes so um when making an album it kind of like you know since it's electronic music it loans itself to that mixed you know djing style if you will but also i wanted to create just a straight up you know pink floyd story album kind of experience um, no i i love that and um you know who else does that is uh, ray lamontaine has a record that does the same thing you have he's, cool. he says even on the record you turn the lights off you listen to it this mm -hmm. is a different thing, which yeah, I, love. I love. I feel that. like that's I feel like that's missing in today's music culture. It's not done as much as it should be. It's a challenge. I, yeah, it's it is. Uh, I think it's the you know the lost art of just listening to records. You know, putting the lights off and lying on the floor. You know, do you, it's, do, you uh, do that? But as like often, in a way, I feel like it has like a modern uh, 
there's a modern version of it, which is like, you know, I know in electronic music, people love to listen to many hours long DJ mixes, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's not an album and it's all different artists, but you know, it's kind of a similar, kind of a similar experience, I guess. But yes, I agree. I, I love listening to albums front to back and it's rare to find people who just do that. Yeah. I know we got to start, we got to start a new revol- revolution. Man, I don't know how we'll do it. We'll like get Netflix to shut down. Can you make that happen for me? Because uh, I have no knowledge. Yeah, I'll pull the plug. <laughs> I no, feel no, like it might sorry. be coming back though with the advent of like the second resurgence of vinyl and stuff. Like you know, vinyl's getting so popular and people are collecting records again. You know, maybe it's slowly creeping its way back. I think you're right. I really do. I think people are actually creating time in their day to sit down and just listen to a record because there's now there's so much to watch and you know people have binged through everything uh-huh. <laughs> in reality. So maybe that's becoming a new thing. I know that in my studio, but in the back, I've got a little listening area. I'll just I got two JBLs and I'll just listen to some tunes and or even just like a record just to check it out. I feel like right. that needs to be part of the the human experience. Absolutely, I agree. But it's what it is. Um, now, the, I said in the, the intro that you're an amazing storyteller, and um, I'll be a thousand percent honest. I didn't know what to, to expect when I was listening to the record, but can you kind of tell the audience about a little bit about the story without giving too much away? Sure. Of, of Star Time? Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's goofy. You kind of have to bear with it a little bit. Um, <laughs> like, it's a sci-fi record. Uh, so, it kind of, like, plays its cards a little close to its chest, I guess, because, like, if you just kind of listen through it, the lyrics are you know, a little more abstract and like generic and like it probably unless somebody tells you about the story, when you turn it on, you're not going to be like, Oh, this is about a lady getting in a rocket ship and flying into space and going to find a black hole. Like it doesn't say any of that. It's a little more, um, you know, I tried, we tried to make it so all the songs could kind of stand alone and be meaningful by themselves and uh, not be totally explicit in, in what's happening, you know. But essentially the story is about two people who are uh, together and one of them has to go on what's essentially a one-way trip to space. Um, and, you know, obviously the album is really about, you know, like the dynamics and, and uh, difficulties of leaving somebody or, or being left behind kind of situation. Um, and it kind of just uses space and sci-fi as metaphors just it's just the setting but yeah and and uh after she's gone um she you know as you guys maybe know uh uh due to time the effects of time dilation and moving near the speed of light and eventually visiting a black hole the two main characters kind of get sheared apart in time you know one of them grows old while the other remains young so there's a few songs and dialogue about that yeah and that's without giving any spoilers away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's wild. I think it's great storytelling. And you're right, they do stand on their own. You can kind of put these into different playlists. I think that they can definitely live without each other, and I think that's phenomenal. And you actually work with a bunch of people on this record that you worked with before. Um, mm. Speaking of uh, Zach Kramer. You, you've made music with Zach Kramer before, right? Yes, yeah. I've known him since high school. Oh, no way. I know you guys put like a, a single or two out in college, right? Yep. Yeah, we've done a few projects together. Like what? Are you guys put out a record, a couple singles? Like what What have you guys done together? Um, He's played in the band uh, Mute Cities, correct? Yeah, I lost to them at the Penn State Battle of Bands. 
But oh, it's okay. man. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It was bittersweet because I was happy for him. Well, let's move on then. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, enough about Zach. Uh, just kidding. Um, yeah, he, uh, we've done, we did a EP in college called Sunlight EP, and then we did an EP a couple years ago called Phasic EP. That was while we were in Philly. And now he jumps in for one song on Star Tide. And he does a great job. Great vocals. Did, was that recorded separately? Yep. Yeah, so he, we did that. Uh, oh, no. He was actually the, yeah, he, I recorded him long before pandemic time. So he came over to my place and we recorded him. Oh, that's awesome. Because you started this record in 2019, right? Yeah, I started it about two years and six months ago. Um, but I finished it six months ago, so it's kind of just been in the holding tank. For... I was going to say, do you have, like, a counter on the wall? Do you have, like, a, another day? <laughs> just <laughs> It's been two years and six months and one day. Yes, I just <laughs> want it to be over so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you're tired of talking about it. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm not tired teasing. of talking about teasing. it, but I yeah. definitely am done with uh, all the logistics and and, you know, the general hellscape of tasks that is getting an album out. Oh, it's wild. The, the public has no idea. <laughs> yeah, no it's idea. A nightmare. It's true. It's a giant nightmare. And and you know what? You're doing something that's so cool, which is you're putting this record out on vinyl, correct? We hope to. We're uh, going to kickstart the uh, vinyl process. So a lot of people have expressed interest in it. And if we can get something like 50 or 60 people to go in on it, there'll be enough to get the lacquer and do the pressing. Um, but I can't, I can't take, you know, three grand on the chin for that. So hopefully oh, we'll hard. get it funded. I mean, Mark and I know yeah. <laughs> about the vinyl game. Yeah. <laughs> we were yeah, selling CDs for a long time. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go on. No, we were selling CDs for a long time. Mark, you want to hop in and kind of tell our vinyl escapades? Uh, about, I mean, I don't know, man. My, my, my butt still hurts from cutting that vinyl dude <laughs> it's like, but you know what they sell better th- i mean they sell people buy them you know i mean we've never had yeah, trouble selling think, them you know so. yeah i think they'll be and also like it's such a like the so the vinyl sleeve like you open it up and there's actually like a comic book track list that like gives the whole story and then there's like a lyrics panel so i think it just kind of low it adds to the story experience a little bit um and i think like you guys said it shows and stuff you know people will definitely be interested in buying them and it's just cool to have so it is and, and i think i love i love the art not i think i love the art i love the art you've posted some of it on facebook at least the early drawings mm-hmm. if anybody wants to check it out um what's your socials for uh, facebook if people want to go look at it yeah it's just keegan tawa on both facebook and instagram um, awesome should be able to find and yeah the uh so i drafted up that art many months ago but i sent it to a a woman who is actually an artist and can do real art. Um, and we got her pieces back just a couple of days ago. So you'll be seeing more of that soon, but her take on it is so much cooler than what I drew. <laughs> oh, it's so exciting. It's so yeah. are I don't understand how, are you going to print it like comic book style and put it in the sleeve of by, I mean, comic book style, like, uh, how do I say? Um, I guess like in a vinyl, you can have like a giant sleeve, right? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to do more of like a, a comic book, like it has a binding or something? We thought about that. Um, and I talked to a few artists about how much it would cost to do like five pages of comics. And it was way too much. Um, <laughs> but one of them suggested you should just do a like comic strip kind of situation on one 12 inch by 12 inch 
face like have it be a gatefold and open it up and on one 12 inch by 12 inch square of the gatefold just have 10 uh panels kind of in a matrix like in a grid mm. um and so i would well i would show you guys but i this is an audio podcast so it wouldn't help anyone else <laughs> but basically they they all are in one uh 12 inch by 12 inch grid uh on the left panel when you open up the gatefold i i love it I, I, so you're gonna have that in the sleeve. Did you add any design for the vinyl itself? I know this. We're starting to get into territory that's just stupid money. <laughs> Nobody wants to pay this. But I know that like Jack White has designed some of the vinyl stuff. Have you te- played around with like maybe designing like artwork on the vinyl itself? You mean uh, like on the platter or on like the center label? On the platter. Yeah, I haven't gotten too far into that. I actually I went down a black hole of research about you know, the various colors of platters and like what it means for the sound and stuff and like mm-hmm. their weight and all this, I got way too crazy into it and learned that the, for the technically best audio experience, you just want a flat, black, heavy platter, you know. And Wait, any, each any color has a different thing? Like a different... Wh- say that again? You're saying the platters, each color has like a different uh, effect on the audio? Yes. Yeah, you start to lose, uh, you start to sacrifice some quality and some weight uh, when you, and this is, gets us more important for like electronic stuff, um, but when you start diluting or contaminating the vinyl with other colors, um, you know, and it get, we're getting so into the fine grain audiophile stuff that I could never tell in a blind test, <laughs> you know, I'm sure few people could, but uh, you know, technically the, the black just the pure black vinyl is like the heaviest and like the is supposed to have the most superior quality. So I just decided to leave it there. Also, it's just like a whole nother extra side quest of work that I just cannot take on right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of a black hole of information, you do so much and you, you work for um, Lockheed Martin in their space division, correct? Correct. I find that astounding. My father and mother also worked for Lockheed Martin, so I know oh, cool. how, how crazy that business is. But um, you have a love of science fiction, and um, I found out about your history with uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, boy. Yeah. is astounding. Boy, it's not a hist- history. It's a living. I was just working on D&D right before we got on this <laughs> call. Oh, no way. <laughs> well, the reason why I bring it up is, you know, we talked about storytelling, and you say that how the record's really not that, not that deep, and I think it is, but... You created a three-year Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Oh, bro, that is just the last campaign in a series of campaigns that have been going on for twelve years. Well, can you tell me about this? Because, like, you know, it, you know, the people. Well, hold on, here's why I ask: is because like the people up at like Marvel or like the storytellers and all these other people, like, all have history with this game, and I would love to know your take on it and how it kind of helps your musical creations and stuff. Sure. Um, so the current campaign, so a, a D&D campaign is basically you play D&D once every week or two, and every session is kind of a episode of a continuing story. Um, so all the way back in high school, we started playing in this sci-fi universe that I had made up at the time. Um, and we played for a couple of years, and it was awesome, and we graduated high school, and I went to college, and we kicked off a second campaign in college with a totally different crew of people uh, in the same sci-fi universe. Of course, no one, none of them knew anything about the high school campaign. And I set this campaign like 200 years later in that universe. Jesus. And that lasted for like three years, and it was awesome. 
Um, and then after college, you know, I got here to Philly and I found a new crew of people to play with once again. And I set this campaign another 200 years in the future after that. So now we're up to the year 2600. And this crew also like doesn't know anything about the previous two campaigns. Um, and occasionally, you know, my college friends will swing through and they'll hop in and make guest spots in this campaign, uh, which is cool. But it's been a continuous world building process for like 10 years in this one universe. Um, and, there, you know, I have a few other settings that we've played in in the past that are not this one sci-fi setting. Um, and I'm working on a new one right now because we're actually getting towards the end of this campaign. And this new one takes place not 200 years in the future, but a, a million years in the future. Literally, it's called Mega Autumn is the name of the setting. Mm -hmm. um, and humans are long gone at this point. Um, and it's about like what happens way after, you know, it all goes down. This is wild. <laughs> like, hold on. This is wild. I love the storytelling. It's fantastic. So you say your, your college friends will pop in and, and play like their characters that they, that they were back in college. Well, most of their characters are dead at this point from okay. college because it's been so long. However, one of their characters um, is still alive. She's at this point is like a 300 year old decrepit old Japanese woman in the current setting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and living to 300 is old, but not impossible in uh, this sci-fi universe because it's the year 2600 and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, shit gets wild um, out in 26. But yeah, they'll kind of, it's totally possible for them to drop by and just roll up a new character that takes place in this setting and just like poke in. I mean, that's wild. So how does it, how does it kind of translate to creating in the, with music? I mean, does it, or there's no connection? Yeah, I think it, I mean, it, they're both, you know, like we said, Star Tide is a storytelling project and, mm -hmm. you know, they're both acts of storytelling and uh, a little bit of world. I would argue all music is storytelling, even if there's no words or lyrics or, uh, you know, like a song is a, linear journey in one direction through time that has a start middle and end you know it mm -hmm. has a plot and it has story even if it's all in sound um and i think you know composing a song or like trying to create a story record is not so far and apart from writing a story or you know there's a lot of the same ingredients you know uh, exposition demonstration you know plot curves energy curves climax you know resolution you know tension building you know it's all it's all f floating around in the same nebula of stuff i feel like i don't know at least for me no i totally agree that's kind of i wanted to kind of get your take on it yeah I, and then the really fun i think the closest analog to dnd &D that i have in music is actually like playing a electronic set like a dj set mm -hmm. um because you know, in D&D, &D, it's, it's really not just the, it's called the Dungeon Master. That's the guy who writes all the stuff and narrates and kind of guides the game. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just the Dungeon Master who is architecting the story, right? Like, they create a setting and a situation, but all these players have characters who, like, can influence the outcome of events and, like, make choices and decisions. And really, it turns into a cooperative story building experience. And the dungeon master like a lot of times the players are going to do things you did not plan for or did not expect or they're going to you know mess something up or totally go off the rails and you're going to have to improvise um, even though you just spent eight hours writing and preparing they just you know instead of just crossing that rope bridge they lit it on fire and like just went the opposite direction and are now doing this and they've befriended one of the 
you know, enemies that you had hoped was going to be the boss fight, but they like got them on their team and now they're going over here and you're like, you're fucked, guys. <laughs> um, but that's like, like the, whole, that's the fun yeah. of it though. Cause like these stories go spiral. It's a cooperative feedback loop and they just spiral out of your hands sometimes and you get something way cooler in the end. And like, I feel often when I'm DJing at a nightclub and I have to like, measure the dance floor and like read people's responses and see what the energy or the vibe is like. And, you know, it feels like that, a similar feedbacking storytelling process. And it's like, it's a long set, like three hours of like, you know, you have to paint a plot. It can't just be high octane music from front to back or, you know, it can't be too laid back when everyone's finally had a few drinks and is ready to go crazy. Like, so you kind of have to paint a plot curve um, and you have to respond to the feedback you're getting from people in the room. And if it all goes right, it, it can be a very magical cooperative story building process, just like D and D. It's kind well, of amazing. Can, that, well, sorry, you, you said that you did. I didn't realize you DJed in the city as well. Oh yeah. Um, back before the, in the olden days before the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think like 60% of my shows were just pure electronic. Oh wow, that's amazing! Did you have like a specific place that was like your, your your home home base? We'll call. No, um, I mean, I there were a lot of places I played somewhat regularly, um, uh, and there are a lot of like DIY and pop up event series. Uh, Philly has like a pretty interesting electronic music scene, um, you know. And, and we should clarify when I say I'm DJing, it's not like, you know, wedding DJing or like events or like, you know mainline club kind of stuff it's more like people who are like into techno and like house music and are like coming out to like seek you know more focused and curated sorts of music and like sometimes i'll bring my saxophone and my moog to those shows Mm -hmm. and add them to the mix um but yeah no that's wild but it's it's funny because you're technically improvising telling a story during these dj sets as well you're doing it over three or four hours and you kind of have to follow the crowd just like any any band has to or else you're going to lose them yeah like that it's very similar to dming i mean it's yeah it's what it is but it's i I love the way you connect the dungeons and dragons with music you know i i I never got to play the game personally when i was a kid but that's what it is well do it do when things go back to normal air quotes you guys can come on over and, you know, we can create some characters and I'll kill you in the dungeon. It will be fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of, you know, um, y- you said online that um, you've called Star Tide like a space opera. Not in the musical sense, but like in the realms of science fiction. Like what, what do you even mean? So space opera is kind of a genre of sci-fi. Um, okay. Because Star Tide is clearly not anything like an opera. Um but a space opera is basically like a just i guess means it like a grand sweeping space adventure that may encompass like lots of different characters or alien species or planets like think of something like star wars is your first pop space opera um but then you you know you have other books like dune or hyperion or like the ian banks culture series you know just these like or isaac asimov's foundation series these massive sprawling epics that take place across you know many centuries and many planets and many civilizations like this is like space opera um (laughs) so star tide doesn't have you know many civilizations and thousands of years of stuff but it's kind of just like a romanticized sweeping space odyssey i think um so that's why i 
called it a space opera. No, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm talking about the record a lot, but I am just fascinated. Um, you are your own producer for this record. You're, you're doing it all by yourself, right? You're mixing and, and, and doing all the engineering yourself, correct? Cor- correct. Now, obviously we've been in, you know, the end times with COVID and everything like that. But did you learn pretty much how to mix and, and, and create your music, own music on the fly um, or different mixing techniques or thi- what are some things that people can take away or, you know, some uh, avenues that they can learn from that you used? Um, well, I, I have been attempting to produce music since I was 18. So that was 10 years ago. Um, and I don't have one like special silver bullet source where I learned a bunch of stuff. It's just been like a long, slow, lots of Google, lots of YouTube, lots of listening and emulating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, periods of like very pointed and helpful guidance from people who really know what they're doing. Uh, like for example, for this record, um, Michael Cumming over at Treacle Mine helped me a lot with, you know, some just like feedback and like bouncing different mixes and stuff off of him or like letting me come to his space and listen to it on his, uh, monitors, which, and in his treated area, which was way better than mine. But I guess like if I had any advice for people who are trying to like figure out how to mix and produce, not that I'm like any crazy authority. I mean, I think Star Tide sounds good, but um, I would, I think something a lot of people overlook is just taking a track that you really like how it sounds and trying to like just copy it, like in terms of the mix and the sound, you know, and it, you know, compositionally, whatever, it doesn't matter, but like emulating and imitating things that sound good and like just Google, Googling everything. Like a lot of people run into problems and I'm always amazed, you know, with young programmers at work or, you know, people debugging music or VST issues or whatever. How many people run into a problem and they just like don't Google it and it would be on the first answer on Google. I don't know. (laughs) Just scrapping and scrounging and like really scraping for data on. And there's so so much good tutorials and content on YouTube and stuff and like there's, infinite reading to be done you know it's all out there to go find um and i think i've just been crawling and groping blindly around the internet for 10 years until i'm like not bad at it no and i i agree it's everything's that simple people like spiral out when they're trying they can't think of the answer to something and they could just just one little search away I, i find myself asking myself the same question which is like oh shit i could just youtube i could just google this and it'll be no problem find the answer yeah, it's like uh, I feel like my whole time spent at Penn State studying computer engineering was really learning how to be an effective Googler. <laughs> like, or like when I'm many, writing yeah. code at work, like I Google once every 45 seconds for something, you know. You know what's remarkable is that's like the third or fourth time I've heard that this week about people finding alternate like work programs or anything like that that's like the third or fourth time i've heard that it's really <laughs> remarkable my, my job is really just to google what the answer is and then tell somebody you know yeah i mean you know being an effective googler is a skill you know it should be on a resume right next to microsoft word experience you know i think so as well <laughs> effectively effectively using google for sure um you know we mentioned that you work at lockheed martin you know as, as a, uh, a side gig or nine to five um as a creative do you find it fulfilling or you understand that this job helps fulfill my music side of my life? Yeah, I really like uh, what I work on at my day job. Uh, it's challenging. It's really interesting and it's 
practical and gets used. And uh, I think it's important. Um, I mean, like, like any nine to five job, uh, and like any engineering job or like any job ever, it comes with a lot of slog, you know, there's, you know, it's not always glorious and I'm not always writing cool, sexy algorithms. Like a lot of times I'm doing what I like to call code plumbing, um, (laughs) which is just like connecting (laughs) pipes and tubes and getting stuff to work. But like, that's engineering, like that's how it goes. Um, and I think overall I, you know, the stuff I work on, I do find like cool and fulfilling and I like to context switch out of music and go work on code all day. And, you know, finally when I'm like starting to get worn out and tired of code, I can come home and I'm fresh and like ready to work on music and stuff. So it's a good duality, I think. No, I think it's great. You know, you're almost using different sides of the brain, sort of, you know, just the analytical to creating and being able to go back and forth. But, you know, you obviously use both sides for both things. But I find it really astounding. It's nice to have that other creative outlet. Now, speaking of creative outlets, I am not going to describe this very well. Can you please, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, uh, judging by your laugh, can you please describe the program Pisces that you have been creating? (laughs) Sure. Um, So Pisces is an acronym that stands for Procedural Iterative Stellar Evolution Simulation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a tool which uh, essentially simulates uh, the birth and growth and development and eventual death of like a very, very tiny, tiny micro galaxy containing somewhere beneath 1 million star system, solar systems. Um, and each of these solar systems contain different stars and planets uh, and their orbital hierarchies and geometries. And each of these planets, you know, contains detailed history about its formation, composition, you know, surface conditions, atmospheric profile, different biomes and climatologies and, and ecologies and etc. Um, and it can even uh, spit out life like it can generate uh, uh, not only various species on these planets, but potentially uh, societies and civilizations. Um, and I, you can kind of watch, you know, what becomes of them and how they grow and evolve and eventually, you know, go extinct. Um, right. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's a work in progress. I've been playing with the data system, which is the kind of invisible back end code since college so f- for like five or six years but i've just only a couple of years ago started to try and visualize anything um so most of my work in the past couple of years has been taking this massive you know sprawling monolith of back-end information and like trying to show it on a computer screen in a way that you know someone who's not a programmer can interact with it yeah so I, that's kind of the project and where it's at I mean, what's where did this even come from? This idea, because when I was researching, I was just looking at it like, why? Why is he creating this? I'm just, I really, it's really a question. <laughs> why are you like, why, doing this? Why are you doing this? You're like, I ask myself this all the time. But, but what's the it, it origin actually, story? It actually goes right back to Dungeons and Dragons, believe it or not. Um, my in college, I was like working on creating a new D and D setting for a game, and I like, you know, was spending. It, it was like four in the morning and I had been spending like 12 hours trying to get this setting ready for these players. And I was like, wouldn't it be so cool if I just had this little script I could run, you know, and it would just spit out a random planet with all of its continents and empires and like, you know, a map and, you know, a little background on it, like just randomly generate and spit out a really simple little D and D setting for me to, you know, do play in with my friends basically. Um, and like That's I wasn't even thinking anything complicated, like a one a one pager, 
that would just mm -hmm. give me like a cool little synopsis of this randomly generated setting. And so I, <laughs> I like started working on it and my first thought, cause I'm like a space person was like, okay, how many suns, how many moons does this random planet have? And uh, okay, well, if I'm gonna generate two suns, what type of suns are they? main sequence stars or the extended sequence stars is it a young star or an old star and then it's like okay well damn if it's a young star it's much brighter and hotter so this planet either needs to be further away or it needs to have a totally different like uh ecosystem um so i you know started getting into and then i was like well damn how far is the planet away so i started getting into orbital elements for the planets and I, you know six years later here i am like i'm you know still working on it you know figuring all this stuff out um but it was supposed to just be a dumb little D, &D script you know many years ago but and then sure enough you're presenting it at the franklin institute like, <laughs> yeah. like that's wild I, I do use its settings for D, D all the time now actually because our current game is a sci-fi game so they're always they're hopping between all these planets you know all over the galaxy and every time they go to a new planet, I just like kind of boot up Pisces and just like machine gun out four or five planets until a really cool one comes out. And I'm like, okay, this is where they're going. <laughs> I can work with this. Yeah. <laughs> so I and guess that, it's fulfilled its purpose a little bit. Hey, it's less work for you, right? It's just the, the algorithm will spit something out that you, you can work with and create a story off of that. I, I find the same with music. If you find something that's like a another song, it's like a jump off jumping off point or a mix that you like as a jumping mm -hmm. off point, it's the same thing. Yeah. And um, I find that remarkable. And um, here, let's get back to music. We're, we're going to do the last thing here, which is called the lightning round. It's going to be 10 questions, and I'm just oh, going to ask you and try as fast as possible to answer. They're all music-related. They're not hard, except kind of the last two. We've had some stumbling. Uh, you ready, Keegan? Yeah, let's do this. Okay. He's taking a quick breath. And here we go. First album you ever owned? Uh, Blue Train by John Coltrane. Fantastic. First concert you ever saw in person? Um, uh, Doylestown Jazz Festival under a tent, unnamed jazz quartet. Wait, who was in that? Don't know. Just a bunch of old guys. Oh, just oh, I see. <laughs> live show ever. <laughs> I thought you meant like that was the name of it. I was like, that's wild. But that was no, definitely a special moment. Well, well, I know this is a lightning round, so we'll. That's fine. That's fine. First instrument you ever played? Saxophone. Alto. Okay. Uh, parents ever play uh, music? My mom's a dancer and my dad's a violin player. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, favorite venue to play as a musician? Oof. Uh, tiny, grody dive bar with smoke hanging on the ceiling. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, your favorite band that... Well, not your favorite. Uh, no, fuck it. Your favorite band that you play in currently or before the pandemic? Oof. Mmm. Uh, mmm. Mm. Probably Jack Zaffrey's project. Awesome. And what's no, that called? Which is no more, but I love oh, playing with them. All right, and here's the last two. Your favorite artist right now? Probably Duffy or Youssef, who we were okay. talking about earlier. Yeah, please go check out that music and your favorite album right now. Ugh. I'm pained. I know. <laughs> See, this is oh. the one that trips people up the most. Yusef Day's that new live recording full album. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. It's 2021. Uh, shoot, what's it called? It's. I don't love a lot of his studio stuff, but that live recording is so good. Uh, it just came out. It's like a 2021 recording. 
It's I called, I got my Spotify up right now. Uh, no, that's not it. I have Welcome to the Hills or what kind of music. That's it. Live I think it's Welcome to the Hills Live. Oh, there it is. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I found it. Yeah. Look, that set is gnarly. It's so good. I'll definitely check it out. Hey, Keegan, tell people where they can find you on the World Wide Web. Yeah, um, you can uh, find all of my music, um, including Star Tide, come April 2nd on all standard streaming and market platforms. So that includes Spotify, Apple Music, uh, iTunes. What else is there? Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, etc. The whole works. Um, and my name on all these platforms is just Keegan Tawa. Uh, Instagram and Facebook are also just Keegan Tawa. And if you're interested in Pisces, uh, I have a blog that's called superhedral.com. And there's way more information than you ever wanted over there. Uh, I tried to dive in. It was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it ranges. Go for it. I, there are some articles on there that are like anyone can read them. Like they're kind of more philosophical or just like, you know, me just blogging. And then there are some technical ones that are for the people who want to get into the orbit nuts and bolts and stuff, you know. But, yeah, I think that's all my and, uh, you know, if you want to hire me, you can go on my LinkedIn. <laughs> hey, hey also you you have another EP coming out after Star Tide, correct? Yes, I, well, I have I don't yeah, I've never talked about it with anyone before, but I uh in the 6 months since Star Tide has been done, I've finished another three-track project called Triangulation which has a lot of uh sick musicians from Philly on it. Uh Who's on? Who's that? on it? Uh, uh Gabe Preston from GPS, amazing sax player, John Coleman from Muscle Tough, amazing bass player, uh, Arjun Dubey from Trap Rabbit, um, amazing drummer as we all know, mm-hmm. um, uh, Lucia Sarmiento, who's not a Philly person, but she's amazing tenor sax player from uh, Minis- Minneapolis. Um, who else we got? Oh, Max Feeman is on it. By the way, mm-hmm. love Max, miss him. Yeah, I miss him too. He's in. Denver right now, but he's coming back soon. Um, and then Michael Rilly, um, he plays with Taylor Kelly's band, great trombone mm-hmm. player, whom I'm missing. If you can't tell from the crew I've gathered here, it's de- not another sad, dumb space opera. It's like a jazz EP. <laughs> Don't um. call your music sad <laughs> space opera. Go listen to Star Tide coming out April 2nd. Keegan, thank you so much for hopping on, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No problem. And uh, guys and gals, till next time, peace.